0: Good morning, I'm Janet Smith and I'd like to welcome you to this year's Edinburgh International Book Festival. Now before we get going this morning I've just got a couple of things to say. I hope that all mobile phones have been switched off and secondly Because of the problems with flying, Owen Colfer has to get away promptly today. And so at the book signing, which is happening next door, he will, in fact, just autograph books. There won't be time to dedicate every single book. But I'm sure you understand with the situation at the airports at the moment. Now, as a fan of Owen Colfer, I think that it's fair to say we've come to expect quite a lot from him. That's because in all of his books, he gives us so much. We get adventure and mystery, lots of humour. We get incredible situations and incredible worlds. But because he's such a good writer, we believe it all. We believe in kick-ass fairies. We believe in techno-whiz centaurs. And, most recently, we believe that if you're a primary school boy, you can be a signed-up private investigator. And this year has been a bumper year. We've had not one, but two new Owen for books. First of all, we had Half Moon Investigations, which introduces us to a brand new character, Fletcher Moon. And, oh joy, yet another Artemis Fowl adventure, Artemis Fowl and the Lost Colony. So, with that in mind, plus a tour of America and a stand-up comedy tour of the UK, It's an especial thrill and pleasure to have Owen able to take time out of a very hectic schedule and be here with us in Edinburgh today. So I would like you all to join me in giving a very warm welcome to Owen Colfer.
1: That was a great intro, Uh, things can only get worse. Um, I'm sorry I have to rush off after this but the the airport uh, lost my bags so uh, I have to try and get them back before I leave and I called my wife yesterday and I said honey, um, the airport lost my bags, Uh, of course this was the one time in my life I decided to travel in flip flops so I had a flip flop, a t-shirt, a pair of shorts and I thought that was inappropriate dress for the Edinburgh festival so I said darling. I have to go shopping. And she said, what? Go shopping unsupervised. (laughs) And then she gave me these golden words of advice. She said, only replace what the audience can see. (laughs) I'll just let you think about that and digest the full horror of those words. But no, I rebelled and I bought the whole lot. So everything is new. So I may kind of be going like this. And this is not because I'm transforming into Mr. Hyde. It's because I hate labels on the back of my shirts. And uh, like many people, I think I sit down with a little razor blade and I cut off every single label. Sometimes in frustration, I rip them off and the whole back comes off the shirt. So I don't know why I'm telling you all of that. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for coming. And uh, especially the parents who no doubt don't want to be here. Uh, they want to be home in bed. I sympathize. Um, I've had some very extreme ways of dads getting out of readings that they promised to go to six months ago. Uh, and one, it was in England, it was during the World Cup, and uh, it was the night England were playing. Uh, I believe there was a penalty shootout at the end of it. Um, and there was a crowd of dads with their sons at an Artemis Powell reading, and the malevolence coming... <laughs> From the parents was unbelievable. Like they were just, you better be funny, you little Irish. <laughs> just because you didn't get into the World Cup doesn't mean you. So one dad, and I'm convinced he had a baby as well, and the baby started crying. He went, Oh, the baby, I'll listen, it will be bad. I'll take the baby. Eh? And I convinced he pinched that baby <laughs> to make the baby cry uh, so he could go off. Anyway, I have written two books this year, well I have come out. Um, This is half Moon Investigations, which is the reading for today. Are there any Artemis Fowl fans in? Get out! (laughs) you are all Artemis Fowl fans, well maybe we will have a look at this uh, later on. Um, This book uh, is all about uh, the power of imagination and curiosity. When I was a young boy, um, I I really really wanted to be a private detective and I had this imagination uh, where if something really boring was happening, uh, like an adult talking to me, I would go off into these flights of fantasy, uh, which I still do. I could be driving along the road listening to Jonathan Ross on the radio, say. And I can tell, this there's Jonathan Ross. What would happen if I went on the Jonathan Ross show? And then I would have this really heated argument with Jonathan Ross in my head, and get very annoyed at him. And I don't like him now, uh, <laughs> even though I've never met him. Uh, I just he asked me a real bad imaginary question, so I don't like him anymore. Uh, and this is what Fletcher does, he kind of takes over in reality from where my imagination left off. And when I was a kid, if I ever heard of any mystery or something went missing or they couldn't find somebody, I would invent these elaborate scenarios where I would find them and I would become the hero. I remember one of my favourite scenarios, this is terrible, right? I would be sitting in the church at mass. And the masses in Ireland are very, very long. And uh, th- there was a priest there who um, he was so old that he couldn't speak properly. And he was so it was like you didn't know if it was Latin or English. It was kind of and you'd be Amen, Amen, Amen. No, oh God! Or sometimes you'd jump up on your own and stand up, and would be it'd be the wrong time, and you would have to sit back down again. And my fancy was that a grenade would come hurtling in through. The stained glass window and roll across the floor, and everyone else would be horrified. But I would jump up and grab the grenade and throw it th- towards the window, and everyone be, would be saved except the priest who would accidentally be hit by one bit of shrapnel, right? <laughs> right between the eyes. So I would be the savior of Wexford at age nine. Uh, obviously, that only happened once, and uh, no, no, that never happened. My other fancy was I would be a private detective, but you, you can and I would make myself little badges with tinfoil as a private detective. And this idea came back to me years later uh, that I heard all about uh, internet theft and identity theft. What if a guy, actually a young guy, enrolled on an online university course by getting his very simply getting his father's birth certificate and credit card details? So this guy enrolls. Uh, in an internet course and he, he passes and not only does he pass he graduates top of his class. So now you've got this 12 year old and he's a qualified detective. He has the badge and everything. Now obviously it's not a real qualification because he can only practice uh, in Washington state and, uh, when he's 21. So he's, he, but he goes around the place and he's, uh, and he's solving little crimes. And I tried to do it. I'm a big fan of the, the kind of the old American crime novels. So I wanted to, every private detective has to have a good bit of patter. And he thinks that's what it's all about until, of course, uh, he gets involved inevitably in a huge case, uh, which could bring the whole administration of the world uh, crumbling down. Uh, when you're writing a book like this, when I began writing, I thought to myself, you have to try and communicate with the kids. You have to try and not write down to them Uh, but communicate with them. And I was completely wrong. You cannot communicate... uh, You cannot try and communicate with kids uh, at their level because you will never uh, get to their level. Because kids, and this is true, especially boys. I have a nine-year-old boy. All boys, everyone here, much as you don't want to believe this, every boy here thinks his father, his teacher, and all adults he knows are stupid, okay? (laughs) He thinks that we, they think we are incredibly thick. And if we try and say anything, they will just kind of sneer at you and say, what, what are you saying? With you say, hey, hey, that song, that's, that's really dope. <laughs> and they say, yeah, there's one dope in here. Yeah. <laughs> so don't try it. My son likes to tell me I'm stupid um, often. Uh, but he cannot say the word stupid because I will punish him. So what he does is he comes up with a different way telling you you're stupid and your kids might use this. I might be giving away a secret. And the way that they do this is they have a code word and the code word is uh, actually. Uh, If your child says to you actually, (laughs) that means, guess what dad, you're thick. (laughs) For example, I will say to my son, I will say, Finn, go to the table, and fetch me my book it is in the middle of the table he will shuffle off <laughs> you think I asked him to pull off his own arm and ease it uh, give me my book I'm having a great life to get your <laughs> I'm not your slave I'm not your slave <laughs> so he comes back 20 minutes later and he says that there's no book in the middle of the table I'm saying, look, there's, there's the book. It's in the middle of the table. Don't annoy me. Go and get it. You <laughs> Did you wiggle your bum at me? No. I'm itchy. Maybe if you taught me more about hygiene, I wouldn't be itchy. So he goes to answer the table. He comes back another 15 minutes later. And he says, there is no book in the middle of the table. I said, I can see the book. Look, I can see it. It's in the middle of the table. And he says, it's not in the middle of the table. It's two inches to the left. <laughs> actually. <laughs> what are you going to do? I can't go to my wife and say, he said Actually. You can't communicate. I mean, I, I tried to communicate with Finn. One time he did something really bold, really wrong. He touched my computer. And in the writer's house, I, I, I bought another computer so he could have the computer he wanted to touch. But now that I have the other computer, he's not interested in this one anymore. He would think this computer had leprosy. So I was giving out to him. And his face just went whoosh. He, when I'm giving out, he's got a little radio. Do, 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 do. I'm saying, You never there's my computer. And he said to me, Daddy, Daddy, I said, What? He said, If I had to have a spare finger, I think I'd have it made out of toffee. So then when I'm finished sucking it, I can stick it in the air and catch flies. <laughs> and I said, well, well, I think I've made my point. <laughs> think boys in general are a different species uh, to the rest of the planet. So I probably told you the story. Has anyone heard my, me talking before? You okay? Just do. Uh, you'll be bored for the next five minutes. But um, for example, if you take boys and girls in the classroom, I was a teacher for 15 years, uh, and their behaviour is very different. I know this is kind of standard comedy stuff—the difference between boys and girls—but this is a really true one. Um, the boys' bathroom in school. Anyone who hasn't been in there for a few years will forget the, tr- the true horror of the boys' bathroom. I'll give you one statistic. Okay? I taught for 15 years in the same classroom. In that time the plumbing in the girls' bathroom was fine. The plumbing in the boys' bathroom had to be replaced three times because it was rusted through. And I'll let you think about that for a while. <laughs> and this is the, the reason for that is that boys are always distracted when they go to the bathroom. If a girl wants to go to the bathroom, say a ten-year-old girl, uh, she doesn't want to draw any attention to the fact because it's private and so it should be. So teacher teacher's standing up, you're talking about whatever, and the girl will just raise her hand maybe to the level of her shoulder. And that's it. There'll be no talking, it will just be... If she is completely desperate to go to the bathroom, she may wiggle her fingers gently. (laughs) The teacher will see her and he will say, or she will say, well, there will be no talking about it, and the girl will stick back quietly and go to the bathroom. If a boy wants to go to the bathroom, he thinks this is a matter of national importance. <laughs> and that his every bowel movement should be recorded for posterity. He will want to tell you where he's going, why he's going, what he's going to do, what brought it on. so he will throw back his chest put up his arm and say teacher <laughs> toilet <laughs> and you say what you want to go to you know while you're calling yourself the toilet <laughs> and he says no I want to go to the toilet actually <laughs> and then you say well go then he said, first I think I should give you the details. <laughs> it all began at half past seven this morning when I had a bran muffin and some orange juice. And you say, get out. <laughs> so he can't just get out obviously because that would cause no disruption whatsoever. So instead he follows the route that he has planned on his hand for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> and in this route he will whack every friend in the back of the head, he will poke him in the ear, smack him in the eye, he do whatever he can accidentally knock all their books off the table and then he has the perfected innocent look it's a bit like a wobbly headed fish it's the same, in I've taught all over the world that innocent denial is the same language it's like a bit like a fish
0: as
1: if the mere fact that you could accuse him of doing something is so bad you should go to prison for hundred years so he goes into the bathroom. Now, when he's in the bathroom, uh, he doesn't want to be out of the class. He wants to have the peace of the bathroom, but he still wants to be involved in the class. He doesn't like boys. Hate the fact that they might miss something. If you ever want your boy to come for dinner, and he won't come down from his bedroom, don't say, "Come on down to your bedroom. Come on down from your bedroom." Just go. <laughs> and you, what? 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 That's how you get him down. So anyway, he's eventually he's in the bathroom. Uh, and he's sitting down doing whatever he has to do. And he just must so he's got his leg he's got the door hooked open with his foot. And he can kinda have here and he's still talking to his friends. Hey Frankie Guess what I'm doing <laughs> Like there's only two guesses really, you know. <laughs> also he will try and answer the teacher's questions. So the teacher was doing geography when he went in. But now he's been in there so long he's doing maths and the teacher saying, okay, 14 multiplied by 5 and from the bathroom comes PAKISTAN!!! <laughs> so this is who you're trying to communicate with. So you don't you don't kinda say, I'm gonna write for you and I'm gonna be trying try and have your imagination and being weird and wonderful and as wacky as you are because I'm grown up now, I can't do that. So all I do is I write a story that I really like okay and I then I take out all the beheadings and then there's your book uh, so <laughs> well I take out most of the beheadings my editor is who's here today uh, takes most of them out and I remember once I beheaded a a, a goblin with dwarf gas. A, gas, a dwarf was leaning over uh, and I, I don't know if, you, if you've read the Artemis books you know that dwarves pass gas very seriously and yes we've already out, look, we've driven out one young child dwarf gas let's go get your goat <laughs> there must be some standards commission somewhere uh, so this dwarf was bending over to pass gas and he passed gas and there was a, a goblin behind him wondering what was going on hey what's going on here and his head got blown off and went rolling down the corridor I thought this was fantastic and uh, the, the dwarf stands up and Artemis is kind of shocked and the dwarf is delighted he says, ah, <laughs> did you see the look on his face and Artemis says, no. And the dwarf says, will I get it for you? <laughs> well, we had to cut that, uh, unfortunately. I thought it was very funny. I suppose me telling you about it kind of ruins the point of cutting it, really. But uh, I have another son who's three. And he is, what I like to call now, he's in his Caesar period. Uh, in that he does not talk about himself as Sean, I am Sean. He talks about Sean in the third person as if Sean is an invisible person sitting beside him and he consults with Sean for example I will say to him Sean are you going to eat your dinner and he will look at me. Sean says no <laughs> and therefore it's not his fault it's Sean's fault I say you are Sean and he comes up and says Sean says stop talking
0: <laughs>
1: and he's very polite like Sean says stop talking so it's, it's hard to keep up with him, he has just, he's just been a potty train at the moment, and this is when you take off the nappy and you let him run free al fresco, or as Bart Simpson would say, with an unburnished basement. And uh, it's a very scary time in our house, we're all running around after him with the potty, uh, and the, the scariest words, I thought the scariest words were something like, four minute warning, but the scariest words in the world are actually, stinky coming. <laughs> <laughs> we, say, we say to Sean, uh, you know, Sean, did you do that poo on the floor? <laughs> Sean did it. <laughs> but when you're asking three rows a the question, they literally answer the question that you ask them. So our questions have become sometimes grammatically incorrect. So for example, when we say to someone, what do you think you're doing? We actually mean, why are you doing that? You know, but when you say to a three-year-old, "What do you think you're doing?" Well, I'm I'm weaving on the dog. What are you stupid? <laughs> actually, actually. <laughs> so that's uh, Sean. <laughs> When we were, uh, we were on holidays and Sean causes chaos because he likes to get a spin um, in the pool, he, ca- he can't swim too well, so he catches on to his brother's shorts, he comes up behind him and he grabs his shorts and then Spin swims off ah! and Sean gets pulled behind him uh, like he's water skiing. We were to find out that this particular tactic does not work on six foot four German men. Sean, this poor guy was on the phone. and This friend friend of mine, Hanson, was on the phone. Yeah, yeah, I told to you. So I have to keep you at the well. And then Sean goes up behind him. Jumps up. Whips down his shorts. Whacks him on the cheek of his bum. Okay. Let's go. In your own time. <laughs> Whenever... Whenever Sean came to the pool, there was women running away. <laughs> it's the Irish baby. <laughs> the uh, we didn't know this, but apparently uh, he wasn't nappy trained at the time, and nappies attract bees and wasps if they're getting full. If you that's a good tip. Uh, if you have a little child on holidays and they're wearing a nappy, change it regularly, or they will be chased by bees oh he didn't know and Sean would go rushing past like this and we'd oh look he's dancing oh <laughs> <laughs> oh look he's throwing himself in the deep end oh <laughs> oh dear so but he, when he was in nappies I know I'm talking a lot about nappies but when you've got young kids it's kind of a large part of your life um, and he was in nappies he would use the nappies, and this is amazing, and i read about this. He would use them as, as a, a way to get power, okay? <laughs> kids have no, little kids have no power. Bigger kids can tell you what they want, and they can say the word actually a lot to you, and they can insult you and do all sorts of things, and they can have power, but little kids can't have any except by crying, and also uh, by the threat of filling up their nappies at an awkward time. So, Sean realizes this early on, and we're saying, okay, Sean, let's go, let's go to school. We have to bring Finn to school. Come on. And he's going, watching Barney? Or he would probably say, Sean is watching Barney. And I would say, no, Sean. Come on, let's go. And he'd go, Sean, Poo. <laughs> I'd say, okay, you stay there. You stay there. Back away from the baby. You stay there. I will go and bring Finn to school. You just stay there. You, that wino will mind you. I'm going there. <laughs> so one time we were in a hotel. And we were up... Uh, we're leaving the hotel and Sean sees the elevator. Now, like most um, kids, he loves to press buttons. Uh, so he says, oh, elevator! Sean, Sean wants to go to the elevator. I said, no, I'm doing an interview with a Japanese lady. Uh, and she's calling me in five minutes. We have to get outside the hotel. And he said, Sean wants to go elevator. And I said, no. He said, Sean, poo! I said, okay, in the elevator. So we went in the elevator and Sean is pressing all the button. And I'm thinking you know uh, this this could work we're going up and down the elevator no one else is getting in phone rings I'm doing the uh, interview everything is fine uh, and we're chatting away and the woman is asking very nice questions she's been really nice and I'm answering away uh, but then I start to lose reception because we're in an elevator and I say oh God, I have to get out of this elevator quickly so I said Sean okay we have to get out I guess Sean will get out I said Sean you have to get out. Sean says, stop talking. <laughs> and finally I said, John, I'm going to put my foot down now. I am the authority figure. I said, Sean, sure. getting off the elevator. And I always notice, I don't know how many people, I get locked Joe, when I'm really angry. I can't speak. And Sean says, okay. And he put this, I'm not kidding, this is, he put his hands on his knees. <laughs> he winked at me and he <laughs> released at least three yards of poo. It was <laughs> it was like someone pulled a string on a life jacket. <laughs> and I reared back screaming like a girl. <laughs> and the smell started that's the thing about these the nappies. they're really porous and they don't we don't have the plastic pants anymore so they let out the smell and the smell started to come out. And it was so bad that it almost had a colour. And it was Fill up every square inch of the elevator and I was trying to lean my face against the cool metal. I could feel the tears running down my cheeks and then they would evaporate. Oh and the woman on the phone said, What what happened? Was there an industrial accident? I said, I'm sorry, I'll i have to call you back. I think i am going to pass out so I hung up and I I thought, Oh, it's okay, it's okay. We are gonna get out now on the next floor and everything will be fine. I'll rush him off to uh, some changing area and I will change them, and it'll be okay. But then the door opened and a block of Spanish tourists just pushed straight on. And they came on. They were kind of walking. It was one of those delayed reaction things where you think everything is fine. And then you smell something. You don't know what it is. So they kind of walked. But it was too late. The doors were closing behind them. Except for one old grandmother who threw aside her walking frame and dived sideways through the gap, <laughs> like something out of the Matrix. <laughs> but the rest of us were all stuck in there, squashed together. We it was so many people. I mean, if we were any closer, we would have had to get engaged. It was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. and they were all except around Sean, where there was a little bit sp- <laughs> and he was standing there. Oh, who did that? And he was like, Sean, yeah. but they all started to look at me and you could tell what they were thinking this guy is holding his phone, he was on the phone while his poor son stands there in that old nappy house what kind of father are you and Sean was there, daddy bad Sean <laughs> a good boy, daddy bad so we got down after suffering for about, I don't know, it seemed like an hour and a half, it was probably 15 seconds everyone trying not to breathe for the whole way down (coughs) and people knowing they had to breathe, uh, the fear (laughs) the door opened and they all fell out, crawling kissing the ground and one of the dads turned back to me and he said this boy, he is the devil (laughs) (laughs) so that's one of the the, the many exciting escapades that Finn and Sean have uh, gotten me into Obviously, this is all between us. If you ever meet my sons, I never. I did once. I wrote, put Finn in a book, in the the Legend of Spud Murphy. Do you know that anyone read that book? And there was a, just a little passage in it where Finn and his cousin were in the back of the car arguing. And it's amazing. Well, if you have kids, you'll know. Most most of you here are eight, so you probably don't have kids. But the grown-ups, <coughs> um, they will argue about absolutely anything. And Finn and Jack, his cousin, were in the back of the car and they were arguing about who owned the air in the back of the car. (laughs) And Finn was saying, this is my daddy's car, my daddy owns the air. And Jack was saying, well I'm a person so I carry around my own air with me and my air goes to this line. And don't put your head across that, get out of my air, get out of (laughs) it. And this went on until they got home and they got to the room and they had bunk beds. And Finn said, well I'm on the bottom bunk so I own all the air on the bottom. If you want to breathe, you have to go up on your bed. <laughs> so poor Jack was outside the door going... <gasps> 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 I thought this was hilarious. And My wife was saying, stop arguing you two. And I am saying, no, no, let them argue, this is fantastic. Except I was driving so that's probably bad. Uh, <laughs> So I put this in a book and I said to Finn, hey Finn, do you remember remember that time you were in the back of the car arguing about the air? And he said, yeah, I "I put that in a book. And he said, you put me in a book? He said, do you mean to tell me that there are children all over the world laughing at me? (laughs) I said, well, hopefully. He said, you are never to put me in a book again, and you are never to talk about me in public. So I don't. <laughs> so don't bother asking me. I won't talk about him. Yeah. So anyway, um, I've talked for a while. Uh, so maybe it's time for some of you to ask a few questions um, before we get to signing. How many people have books? Why don't the rest of you have books? Do you know how long it took me to get here? I was stuck for three hours in, uh, has anyone come up from Heathrow? Uh, well it's, it's a nightmare down there. So, if, if you have a choice and you have to go back, just get a bike or something. Cause, uh, anyway, so questions, I want to get you to give me your name before you ask the question so I know who I'm speaking to. And I think, we ha- is there any mics or are they just going to shout out? Oh, we, have, we, have, we have a mic, or two mics, two mics. So we'll start over on this side. Anyone over here? There's a boy there. Hold on, we get ooh, the mic ooh. to you. Now tell me your name and what your question yeah. is.
0: Um, my name's Duncan Boyer, and um, what's the in the on the back of the um, new Artemis Fowl book? It says Artemis Fowl's met his match, and it's a human. What's the name of this human?
1: The human, uh, the human uh, that he meets in this, that is, a, uh, is called Minerva Paradiso, and she's a, a French girl who's just as well. She might be just as smart as Artemis and so she she wants to capture a demon and he knows if she does capture a demon she's headed down the same path that he was so he has to stop this and also as you can see demons are very very dangerous but unfortunately from Minerva most demons are really really dangerous but she gets the one demon that's like kind of interior decorating and cooking and that kind of thing <laughs> so she kind of doesn't get the one she wants this guy is more interested in redesigning her furniture arrangements. Then ripping her heart out and putting her head on a stake, which is what she wanted. Okay, we've got. We go over to this side then. Is there anyone over here? Anyone at all? Anyone down here? And then, oh, we got someone there. Have we?
0: My name's Catherine. And how did Catherine. you come up with the whole idea for Artemis Fowl?
1: Artemis Fowl. Uh, where did I get that idea, Catherine? He's based a lot on my uh, three little brothers and one older brother. Uh, and the one he's closely based on is my brother uh, Donald, who was kind of like a child criminal mastermind and his expertise was he could get anyone out of trouble and he developed a system for this and his whole theory was if you can turn your mother's or father's annoyance to uh, sympathy you will get out of trouble so what you do is it's got several steps The first step is uh, you put your head on the side uh, open your eyes as wide as you can and wobble your lip what you have to do is you make your parents think, remember you when you were a baby. They have, they, you have to make them have a flashback. But you can't just say goo goo gaga because that's a bit obvious. So you have to be subtle about it. The second step is you express affection for the parent because we like that. And the third step is um, you pretend you're injured. And the fourth step is you mispronounce something in a babyish way. And that whole package uh, will get you forgiven. So, for example, your son uh, has just taken. Uh, a big nail and scraped it along the side of your new car and you jump out the door and you've caught him you say, what are you doing? It was a little child who said, I'm scraping a nail down the side of your car stupid but, uh, but if it was an older child he will flash back to being a baby and he will say I love you daddy <laughs> and I hurt in my elbow. <laughs> all became so well known for this that other children would come to him for advice and my brother Niall came uh, my little brother Niall came to him once and he had a big huge problem and he had he had done the ultimate scene in our house uh, which was he had ruined his appetite <laughs> by eating two biscuits before dinner that was the worst thing you could do in our house so he came to Donald, I have sinned. He said, what have you done? I have eaten two biscuits. You have ruined your appetite, you fool. (laughs) Can you help me, Donald? Well, it's too late for the elbow thing. We have to do something much bigger. I have a plan. Come with me to the top of the stairs. So So the two boys went to the top of the stairs to hide, which is, is not a great idea, really, hiding behind the banisters, you know. Uh, so my mother came in. She saw the biscuits out on the table. Ugh, he's ruined his appetite. And she came out and do- and she was in the hallway hunting for Niall. And Don said, wait for it, wait for it. And he pushed Nile down the stairs. <laughs> and Nile went bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Either he's in severe pain or he has a new shirt with the label still on. And my mother went, Oh, my baby, my baby. She forgot all about the biscuits and it was with his last ounce of strength. Now I went, Eh. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? Yeah, uh, okay. Anyone down in front here? Oh, this little boy here. Sorry, this big lad here, I should say.
0: My my name is Callum Gundry, and Callum. how how long did it take to write your new Artemis File book?
1: Uh, the new Artemis File book took me about 10 months um, to write that. So it, it, we kind of finished early, which is why we bought two books out this year. Uh, so yeah, about 10 months. It usually takes about a year to write a book for me. If it was, if it was a little Captain Crow book or something, it would take about <coughs> two months. And then if it's a novel, <coughs> pardon me, it would take about a year so for it's a strange life being a writer because for most of the time i'm in my shed in the back of the garden and i'm writing away on my own laughing at the computer and it's a sad thing to see a forty one-year-old man laughing at a computer (laughs) and and when you're on your own you don't even feel you have to use the english language (laughs) that's why i'm in the shed actually my wife said get out (coughs) I'm trying to watch Friends go, so. Now anyone, there's a boy here with a black top.
0: I'm Matthew, Uh, is there going to be an Artemis Fowl book out?
1: Is there going to be an Artemis Fowl book? Matthew, that's a hard one to answer.
0: Film. A film?
1: Uh, I've been, the film should, I know I say this every year. Uh, but th- they 're supposed to be making the film sometime this year uh, uh, and i 've been working on the script myself now, so it 's going to be great because what we did was we took the first book and I said, well all the people a lot of people who come to this will have read the first book, so let 's add something onto the end. So we took all the first book and then added a huge big uh new ending as well, so it's like two endings, so I think it you if you 're a fan of the book you 'll get the book, but then you 'll get this thing you 're not expecting. Well obviously you are expecting it now, but <laughs> <coughs> 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 it's brilliant, it's about it's a new ending, is it this about this game called Quadditch. No, no. <laughs> 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 Where well you fly around on magic pogo sticks and you
0: <laughs>
1: I shouldn't mess with JK in Edinburgh, should I really no. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Anyone else? Yep. Yes.
0: Um, my name's Claire. Claire. Um, I want to know how many other Artemis Fowl books you're planning to write.
1: Uh, I'm planning to write one more, so it'll be six. But I was only planning to write three then originally, so I don't know. Um, if I get a good idea, read, that's that's the way I work. I don't sort of say I'm going to write twelve books. A really good friend of mine, uh, Darren Chan, I don't know if you've read the Darren Chan books, all the vampire books. He had said to us he was going to write 20 and then thereafter 12 he realized the story is over and so then he had to go and back to his publisher and say remember I said 20 and you gave me all that money well it's only going to be 12 and I've spent the money (laughs) (coughs) so the way I do it is I say I have one book at a time so I know I'm going to do one more because I've got it planned in my head but after that I don't know I think some of the characters Holly for example could have her own book so I think I might do that but we'll wait and see but definitely one more. Uh, there's a boy here at the end.
0: My name's Sean. And Sean. Um, what gives <laughs> g- <what laughs> you... Th- Are
1: you Sean now or is it the guy beside you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what gives you the, the idea to call the youngest shark a Herod?
1: Herod? Yeah. Herod, oh, I thought it was... <laughs> the mo- it's very sad, really. Uh, the mother... Um, it's a, it's a very sad story. In this, um, the mother is sick, and she says uh, the baby is born. She says, "Please," to her husband, who's a real rapskall. And she says, "Please call him something biblical." <laughs> <laughs> All he can think of is Herod. He's a, he says he knows Jesus and Herod, and he can't call him Jesus. <laughs> he calls the baby Herod. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why I'm not in the house anymore. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, I can see a baseball hat up there and an arm. It's a great exercise for these guys. You try and pick someone at the opposite end of the room every time.
0: Hi, my name's Glenn, and Glenn. I, was, I, was, yeah, I was just wondering <laughs> for your inspiration. Yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Glenn. I was just wondering where your inspiration for Foley came from.
1: Foley uh, is a centaur in the artless books, and he's kind of the techy guy. And of all the characters in my books, I think, apart from the horse bit, he is based a, a lot on me. And I didn't mean that. It's just that I'm the kind of guy who sits around at his computer, uh, being a smart aleck all the time, and that's what he does. So the inspiration from Foley, although I had no idea at the time, I think it was possibly myself. Uh, I would love to think it's like the heroic characters like Butler, but it's not really. I'm just a kind of little techie guy who sits at his computer, and uh, his, that's where my world is most of the time. So I don't have the, the you know, the four legs or anything. But uh, from the waist up, um, I think Foley would probably look a bit like me. I'm trying. I'm saying this all the time in public, so maybe I'll get a part in the movie. Um <laughs> <coughs> I, t- I told my son Finn. I said, Finn, I was talking to the possible director. And I said, listen, I have to give my son Finn. He wants to. He wants to be an extra. Uh, he wants to be a goblin. He said, Yeah, that's great. Two of you can be goblins. I said, Whoa. <laughs> uh, I said, That's fantastic. He said, Yeah, you'd, you'd have to get all the latex and, the, oh, you know, we'd make you up really horrible. You look really ugly. I said, Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks. I said, uh, Thanks, Stephen. Uh, no, <laughs> so I went home to my wife. I said, Honey, honey, honey. I said, uh, I'm going to be a goblin. She, I said, They're really ugly, so I'm going to have to get loads of makeup. And She said, Do you think so? Get out of your shit. Okay. Uh now. We've got, we've got a few minutes left. About two. Then I'm gonna have to run off. Uh this little guy right here. That yeah, that's you. Okay. What's, what, what's, name my, name? what's my name again, Mammy?
0: My name is Don't you... okay. My name is Benjamin.
1: Okay, Benjamin. That's name? not technically a question, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: What's your favourite Artemis Fowl book? Artemis Fowl book. Are you working for somebody, Benjamin? <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be. Uh, my favourite Artemis Fowl book. I don't know. It's always the latest one. I, I think uh, I really like this one. It uh, it's it's the biggest one and it's really shiny. Ooh. <laughs> and this is calculators. Uh, to hypnotize the boys in the bookstores. Very often people come down to Waterstones and they find boys just licking this book. Ah. <laughs> they say, do you want that book? I must have the book. <laughs> they don't read it, they just lick a hole in the cover. So, so I, I, really, I really like that one. But you're too young for this now. Uh, it's a bit scary look, so maybe wait on... what age are you now? five you're five uh, can you count up to five no way go on then
0: one two three four five
1: very good good (laughs) well all you have to do to get a clap from you people (laughs) is count up to five you could have told me that 45 minutes ago okay thanks Benjamin this, this girl here I, I, I can just see lovely long blonde hair that's all I can see your hand has gone down now again Ooh. Up. oh Ooh. oh where, where? just talk among yourselves <laughs>
0: <laughs> my name's Ellen, Ellen and which of your books would you like to be a character in um, I would
1: love to be uh, one of the uh, sprites in the Artemis file books because they can fly and sprites because they can fly they're kind of like uh, young men with sports cars, they think they're the coolest beings, on, so they just fly and go, hey <laughs> hey little pixie see you later, you know, so I, I, would, I would love that, and I think every child has dreams of flying, and they dream about when they, you know, just flying on. and I, that's a very strong urge uh, and I think I still have that if I could fly, I would, and I wouldn't lose my own bags <laughs> am I bitter, is that coming out, <laughs> Well, I just let that go, okay, move on now time for one more if you don't ask, if you don't get your question out I can see you outside so we'll just ask this boy here I'm sorry about the rush but we're
0: uh, I'm Fergus you said Fergus. that you'd uh, met Darren Chan yes. do you uh, know any other authors?
1: I do I know loads of uh, writers that is one of the nicest things about being um, a kids writer as you, you get to meet them I know uh, Anthony Horowitz um, who wrote the St- Stormbreaker things I know uh, Ian Wybrow who's here, I know Ian Rankin who's around somewhere. Uh, I know loads of people, and kn- and it's great, and because I feel about meeting them the same way as you would. I'm just, oh. <gasps> I'm you know how I'm. It's, it's you meet your heroes, and people like Michael Malpergo, who's been you know a brilliant writer for years. Getting to meet him is just, uh, it's just amazing, and so, um, yeah, it's it's a great position to be in. Obviously, most of them won't talk to me anymore, but. Um, <laughs> but it's it's lovely to go to a festival and that is one of the high points to go into the author's tent and I still feel oh I shouldn't be here I'm going to be kicked out and I go in and I sit down with all the other writers and and we have a chat Charlie Higson who wrote the Bond books he's talking is he talking at the moment or later on later on well you should really go and see him I, I, I'm i sure all the dads want to go and see him anyway and hopefully he'll go well Ted uh. <laughs> but uh, so yeah I do. I know a lot of them so that's great that's wonderful I, I'm going to leave you a little story Uh then I'm going to have to go. One of the questions, or the question you've, we've already been asked a few times, is about inspiration. Uh, so I want to tell you a little story that says uh, where you get your <coughs> ideas from. Now you get your ideas from everywhere and every day. This is a story I tell quite a lot, so maybe a few of you have heard it. It's a short one, though. Uh, so if you keep your eyes open, wherever you go, there's always going to be one or two strange people in the audience who would be uh, great in the story, I'm just looking around me here. Two or three dozen here I think. <laughs> but I was at one event in America uh, about two years ago and I was talking away and I noticed there was a little guy sitting in the front corner there uh, with his mother. Uh, and beside him on the wall there was an electricity socket and a switch. Okay? This guy had one arm in a cast, he had broken an arm. This is what the guy was doing. He was licking his little finger and then he was jamming it into the electricity start and flicking on and off the switch. And I thought this could be a tragedy. He could blow a fuse and I would have to stop speaking. Uh, Oh, and he could possibly die. Uh, I said, what are you doing? Are you trying to burn the place down? And he said, I'm just having fun. Actually. <laughs> I went like that, and in America apparently it's even illegal to do that. Too. <laughs> so his mother dragged him away from the socket. And she came up to me after the show. And he's a lovely little fella, just a bit mad like my own son. And he said, uh, I said, oh, what happened to his arm? Oh, she said, he's always doing stuff like that socket on the arm. And I said, well, how did he break his arm? He said, we have a tree in our back garden. You'll have to imagine this American woman is of Irish extraction because I can't do American accents. So we have a tree in our back garden. And he went up the tree with his best friend, up to the very top of the tree. And his best friend said to him, I bet you $5 you cannot dive out of this tree with your arms out like this without breaking your arm. And the kid said, I'll take that money so he dived out and broke his arm and uh, I said to the mother wow that must have really annoyed you and she said it did the first time (laughs) (laughs) so when his when his arm healed up his friend said to him give me the five dollars and he said no I'm gonna do it (laughs) and he went up and he dived out and he broke his arm again and for all I knew, no, he's doing it still. <laughs> and uh, if you keep your ears open, uh, you'll hear stories uh, like that all the time. Now, I have a little favor to ask, um, because I'm trying to get to this as fast as I can. I have to get out that door and to the signing table, okay? So all I'm asking you to do is to keep clapping until that door closes. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <clears throat>